If you go into a Catholic church, you see some pictures round the walls, or maybe carvings. We call them the Stations of the Cross. There are 14 of them. A station is where something stops, I suppose, and these Stations of the Cross are where we stop to watch our blessed Lord in his passion, on his way to die for us. You may wonder how they get there. Well, from the earliest times, Christians have wanted to make pilgrimages to the Holy Land, to see the places where our blessed Lord lived and where he suffered for us, to see Bethlehem and Nazareth. But of all the things that the pilgrims did, about their main devotion was to go along the sorrowful way, the Via Dolorosa, as they call it in Latin, the sorrowful way that led from Pilate's judgment seat from the Praetorium to Calvary. They went along that road, and I suppose the guides would point out, this is where Jesus fell, this is where Simon was brought in to help carry the cross, this was where he met the holy women of Jerusalem, and so on. And the pilgrims would go along, and uh, they'd have great devotion in seeing the actual places where our, our Lord suffered. And when they got back home, they wanted to have some sort of souvenir of what they'd seen. Just like nowadays, people go to Lourdes, and when they get back home, they sometimes put up a, a grotto, a sort of Lourdes grotto. So when people got back from the Holy Land, they sometimes like to put up shrines reminding them of these scenes in Jerusalem, reminding of these places where they prayed with such devotion. And these souvenirs got standardized and they gradually developed into our 14 stations, our 14 stopping places, starting off with our Lord's condemnation before Pilate, and ending with his being placed in the tomb. And of all the ways of meditating on the passion of Christ, this must be about the easiest. Just to go round these stations thinking, Jesus suffered this for love of me. These stations of the cross, they're like a little local Jerusalem, if you like, Ever since the time about of St. Francis, the Franciscans have had the care of the Catholic holy places in, 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 in the Holy Land. And when we have the Stations of the Cross put up in our churches, it's always a Franciscan who comes along and erects them, gives them the blessing, because they have a sort of general charge of the holy places. And so our Stations of the Cross, if you like, they're a little bit of Jerusalem placed in our parish. And we can go around them and think of how much our Lord's loved us. We ought to think of the passion of our Lord. He, he must want it. The night before he suffered, you remember, in, in the upper room, he instituted the holy sacrifice of the Mass. He said, do this in memory of me. He did not want them to forget what he was going to suffer for them.
And from the Gospels, we can gather that God wants us to call to mind often his passion. In the Gospels, whole years of our Lord's life, they're passed over without their mention. But when we get to the last 24 hours, well, the whole action sort of slows up, and almost every hour we know what's happening. There's great treasure here in the, in, in, in the story of the Passion. Obviously I can't say everything there is to say. Nobody ever could say that. What I'll do, I'll just try to sort of scratch the surface and show you that it's a real gold mine. And then perhaps you'll be encouraged to stake out a claim for yourself, that is to say, to spend more time thinking about the Passion and, I'd suggest, start making the Stations of the Cross. In 10 or 15 minutes, you can go around these stations and you get distractions, like everyone gets distractions. Well, when you get a distraction, just move on to the next station. But somewhere in these 14 stations, God will help you to get some profit and help you to love our Lord better. What special fruit we should look for in thinking of the passion of our Lord? I suppose, first, greater love for him, that he should have loved us to this extent, it's just incredible. St. Paul says somewhere that scarcely for a, a good man would anyone die, though perhaps if someone were very good, people might be prepared to die for him. But the astonishing thing is that when we were still sinners, it was Christ who died for us. This should draw us to love him very much. We've never had anyone do so much for us other than he. And also, thinking of the Passion should give us a more realistic attitude to sin. Because why did he suffer? Our sins. If we hadn't sinned, he wouldn't have had to suffer. But he chose to pay the price in this way. As St. John says, he, he loved us and he washed us from our sins in his own blood. So when we're going around the stations and thinking of the Passion, it's quite helpful to reckon that Jesus did this for love of you personally. Being God, he had the whole of time present to him and the whole of creation and every person. And it's not fanciful to reckon that his love for us, it was present there in his passion and this enabled him to go through with it. If you love someone very much, you're ready to suffer anything for them then we can reckon that all our hope of heaven comes through what he's suffering now. If a person were completely broke and had immense debts and went to some benefactor and asked them for help and the person said, well, yes, sure, I'll help you and got out their checkbook and started writing out a check to pay them all they needed. While they were actually writing out the check, you wouldn't be able to take your eyes off it all. And here we see our Lord doing what has won for us a happy eternity, if only we keep close to him. Also, of course, we should be encouraged to carry our own cross. Yesterday I was in the church, 
and I saw an old man, and he was on crutches, and he was making the Stations of the Cross. He was only able to genuflect about, you know, go down six inches about, but he was really going round the Stations, and I thought to myself, I bet our Lord's making his crutches seem quite light. I, I'm sure he must have got great help from seeing what a wonderful thing the cross is, that it's, it was our Lord's chosen instrument for our salvation. It would have helped him to see the value of, of his crutches, I'm sure. And then, I suppose, too, it should give us a, a zeal for people's salvation. When we see that God paid this price for men's souls, it should make us realize what an immense value God places on each individual, every single person. And it should help us to see every person we meet as being the, the object of God's immense love. But then, as I say, th there's limitless good in this, and you should start trying to make the stations for yourself. Just go around thinking, Jesus suffered this for love of me. And then I'm sure the Holy Spirit will put the right sort of thoughts into your heart. Well, the first station. Here we see Jesus before Pilate, and he's being condemned to death. Jesus, all innocent, condemned to death. It's as though behind Pilate's judgment seat, he sees the judgment seat of his father. And our Lord knows that he's taken on himself the sins of the whole world, as the poison in a body can all be gathered into one ulcer. So it's as though Christ took into himself, took on himself, the sins of the whole human race, laden with them. He sees himself now condemned to death. He doesn't complain. He's silent. He's the only wholly innocent person, and he's found guilty. This silence of our Lord, this should help us. We're always very anxious to excuse ourselves, and anxious that people should interpret everything that we do or say in the best possible light. Our Lord's silent. Saint Dominic Xavier now, he was very holy. He was, he was only a boy when he died. And once at school, he was blamed for doing something that he hadn't done. He, he, he didn't defend himself. And later on, the teacher found that he hadn't done it. And he said to him, well, why didn't you speak up? And Dominic Xavier said, when our Lord was unjustly accused, he kept silent. Well, that's, uh, that's the attitude of a saint. But all the same... From our Lord's silence, maybe we can learn something. Poor Pilate, we see from him that you simply cannot please everybody all the time. He, he wanted to sort of please the Jews, he wanted to please the emperor, he didn't want to crucify Jesus, he was really stuck. And the great lesson for us is that when we're in that situation and we cannot please everybody, we have to look to God and say, what would God like? What would Jesus like? 
as you make the stations, you sort of change your thoughts and you find different stations mean different things to different days. And just the last week or so, I've been thinking of this first station, that our Lord's rejected. He's come into this world for love of us, and we just don't want him. He doesn't sort of fit. And so we just want to get rid of him. It's an appalling thing that Jesus came to this world to save us, and we have a good look at him and say, really, you don't fit our scene. You must get out. And so we push him out and kill him. It's a terrible thing, that. And the world as such, I suppose, very often has had that attitude to Christianity as such. It's a reproach to the sheer humanism of the world. Jesus isn't it isn't wanted. And I think it'll always be like that. And if we find that we as Christians sometimes get that treatment, uh, it should be a consolation to us. Because that's just how they felt about Jesus. We ought to move on now to the second station. And here Jesus is given his cross to carry. Now, of all the people in Jerusalem, he least deserved to have this cross. Yet he took it, and he didn't complain. When we get a cross, it can often be that it's through somebody else's fault. Maybe we have to do something that somebody else should have done, but they just don't do it. Well, I mean, even things like washing up, they just don't do it, and here we are. And we can start feeling sorry for ourselves, perhaps. It's a help to remember at such moments of this heavy cross that Jesus was given, which he carried for love of me, and the weight of it, my sins. As it happened, he fell under the weight of the cross. And yet when he received it, he didn't feel it and think, this is too heavy for me. It wasn't too heavy, because it came to him from his father. His father knew to the last ounce how much that cross weighed. And yet our Lord was given it. When we get a cross... Whatever it is, we have to think of God, who has allowed this. If you throw a stone and hit a dog, the dog might turn and, and, and bite the stone, when he'd be better occupied in looking for the person who threw it. And we can behave like that. We get a cross, and instead of raising our eyes to our Father in Heaven, who, for our eternal benefit, has allowed us this cross, we start thinking of the person who's actually given it to us. No, we should try to react with faith to these situations. And we can imagine that our Lord kissed that cross when the priest comes up to the altar to say Mass, he kisses the altar. And this cross was going to be the altar on which 
our Lord's holy sacrifice was going to be offered. And so even though it was going to be the instrument of his suffering, nevertheless he kissed it. And that's how the saints have reacted. So the crosses that we get given, they come to us from God, and they come for our salvation, for our sanctification. And we should think about the way our Lord took his cross. He didn't complain. He didn't say, why me? No, he knew this was the cross that came from, from his Father for our benefit, and he took it with love. Now the third station. Well, we see our Lord fall the first time under the weight of the cross. In the first station we saw that he took on himself our guilt, and he, he was silent. In the second station we saw how he took on himself the penalty of our guilt. Again, he was silent. And here we see that he takes on himself our weakness, and still he's silent. This silence of God, I'm sure it's got lessons for us. Most of us talk too much, and maybe we complain too much. The saints didn't. If you keep on taking the lid off a saucepan, it takes much longer to boil. If you keep the lid on firmly, it, it boils quicker. And if we keep on opening our mouths, well, somehow, it takes away a certain intimacy from our religion, which it should have. That's to say, religion is a matter between God and ourselves. And if God allows us a cross, and if we don't tell people, that's the way the saints behaved, really. Uh, and, but we tend to talk about our crosses and say how much we suffer. And, uh, well, it doesn't take away all the value, I'm sure. But if we could just keep a few secrets between Jesus and ourselves, I'm sure our sanctification would go ahead better and our interior life would, would be stronger. Father Faber said that most people who are working for God are very well aware of their inadequacy. And I suppose you have to say that our weakness is as much part of God's plan as, as the crosses. They go together. I mean, he gives the cross, and we are weak. Maybe it is that our weakness is what's needed to wear down our pride. But our Lord did feel very tired. When we feel tired carrying our cross, you know, some mothers, when they wake up in the morning, they can think to themselves, how can I get through this day? They just feel too weak to get through the day. And they get through the day somehow. And it's like that day after day. And that's the way God's sanctifying them. If a Christian got to heaven without having ever got really weary carrying his cross, that would be a pretty shameful way to arrive at the gates of heaven. So when we feel weary doing our duty and carrying this cross that God's given us, whether it's sickness or family duties or our job or whatever it may be. Well, we shouldn't repine, but our, our very weariness, it helps make us a bit less unlike Jesus. Now we come to the fourth station, and our Lord meets his blessed mother. Mind you, these stations, they aren't all in Scripture, as we'll see when we come to St. Veronica. 
but uh, we can expect that our blessed lady, she did meet him somewhere on the way to Calvary. And so at this fourth station, we find our blessed lady meeting Jesus. Maybe by now, you've already started having a good many distractions, and so it might be a good thing to ask Our Lady to help you to make the stations well, to help you to have a, a good devotion to the passion of our Lord. We don't make the stations to get consolation. It would, would not be right to start looking for consolation where our Lord found such suffering. We make the stations, well, I suppose because we ought to. I mean, after all, he's suffering for love of us. St. Bernard says something about, uh, imagines a boy out playing, and supposing you're out there playing with your friends, and you suddenly hear a great sort of commotion and, and uh, shouting outside, and you go and look, and there's the king's son going past, carrying his cross, and you say, what's happening? And people say, he's going there to die for you. You couldn't go on playing. You'd have to go and follow him to see this amazing sight and to thank him and to ask his forgiveness. And so when we make the Stations of the Cross, we don't look for consolation. We, we just want to sort of share with our Lord his suffering in a way and to thank him. And so it's a good thing to ask our Blessed Lady to help you to profit from this devotion the way God wants you to profit. And then you can think to yourself, well, what's she doing here? She hasn't got to die for love of us. She hasn't got to suffer. She's here because she loves Jesus. If on Palm Sunday he'd said to her, now look, Mother, my hour has come. This is the week when I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be put to death. But I'll rise the third day. You go back to Nazareth. And then, when I've risen from the dead, I'll come to you to comfort you. She'd have said, Oh, Jesus, how could you? If you're going to suffer, you know that I want to be there. I must be there to be with you. Her love for Jesus made her want to share his shame and so far as she could share in his suffering, share in his cross. Now we have a dread of the cross and a great fear of shame and suffering. So something that we could ask for from God at this station could be that he might give us such a love for Jesus that we don't dread his cross so much. The saints had such a love for him that they even welcomed the cross. And they had such a love for him that they, they didn't like being without their cross. And so, when we see this station and see our blessed lady there, we can ask for a greater love for Jesus. It's her love for him that compels her to be there. The apostles fled, of course, except St. John. But we can ask that we may stay close to the cross with our Blessed Lady, 
and when God gives us the cross, that we may not loathe it like perhaps we do. Our blessed Lord, for all that he suffered, he didn't deprive himself in his suffering of the comfort that only a mother can give. In a way, I suppose, perhaps, her being there increased his suffering. But nevertheless, when a person's suffering, to have their mother there, it's bound to be a help. It's sort of instinct. Well, we can be sure that whatever crosses God has in store for us, he'll never deprive us of the comfort that our Blessed Lady can give. Now the fifth station, when Simon of Cyrene is made to carry the cross. This cross was the last thing in the world that Simon expected. I suppose he'd been working in the fields, he was on his way home to his dinner, and he's sort of pushing his way through the crowd, and suddenly this soldier comes up to him and makes him carry this cross. And it's a, it's a frightful moment for him. So humiliating, so inopportune, and yet this is the turning point of his life. And you can say that all the graces he's received hitherto have been leading up to this. St. Mark, who wrote for the Christians in Rome, St. Mark tells us that Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus, and so presumably Alexander and Rufus were known to the Christian community in Rome. And so presumably they were Christians and Simon himself must have become a Christian. And how did he become a Christian? But through this cross. If it had been an angel who had appeared to him with a cross all beautiful and studded with jewels and had said to him, now this is the the watershed of all human history when the God-man is going to die for the sins of the whole human race and one human being is going to be asked to help him carry his cross would you be ready to do it? Simon would have been thrilled and he'd have been very proud and happy to carry the cross but it wasn't an angel it was a soldier who thrust on him, without the opportunity of refusing it, this heavy and humiliating cross. He didn't want it. And he had to carry it. And somehow this led him to realize who our Lord was. When we get given a cross, it's a great help to realize that this is an opportunity God is giving me to come to an intimacy with Jesus that otherwise would be impossible. If Simon hadn't had that cross, he'd never have got to know our Lord. But he was given it, and somehow God's grace got to work and his heart was softened and he turned towards our Lord. 
God, he does so want us to be holy. And he sees us so preoccupied with other things. And sometimes the only way he, he can give us the graces he wants to give us is by learning us with a cross. And we have to take it on faith, because God is God after all. Not a leaf stirs on any tree anywhere in the world without God's permission. And we know that we are God's children. And if he allows us a cross, this must be part of his eternal plan for our sanctification. So we should never look at a cross, whether it's sickness or failure or disappointment or bereavement, whatever it may be. We should never look at a cross with merely human eyes. And so, dear Simon of Cyrene, who showed us the way, for all eternity now, he's thanking God for that cross. Just imagine what his life would have been if he hadn't had that cross. He'd have gone home to his dinner and just carried on and maybe he'd come out in the afternoon and not realize that God was dying for him. Maybe he'd never have got to know our Lord at all. As it was, he, he was offered this wonderful opportunity of actually helping Jesus. And that's how it is with us when God gives us a cross. He didn't want to carry it to begin with. And the crosses that we have may be our duty, something that we've got to do, God doesn't expect us to enjoy the cross. What he asks is that we carry it with faith. And if we carry it with faith and with resignation to his holy will, then God will use it in the way that, that he can. The sixth station of the cross is quite non-scriptural, but so many people for so many centuries have thought about it that it won't do us any harm to think about it too. A holy woman called Veronica wipes his face with her veil and the image of his face is miraculously imprinted on the veil. Well, there's all sorts of profit you can get from this station. The first is this. When Simon was given the cross, he was just given it. He didn't volunteer. But we mustn't think that God doesn't want anything spontaneous. We're not on a sort of production belt of, of, of sanctification. God offers his graces, but it's up to us to accept them gladly. Now Veronica saw Jesus going past, and he was a pathetic sight. And this was a military execution or an official execution. And I suppose people weren't meant to interfere, really. But she didn't bother about that. When she saw him looking like that, she just went straight forward and did him that kindness. Now, if she stopped to think about it, if she stopped to ask advice, was it prudent to help? If she started having second thoughts, maybe for half a minute the opportunity would have passed. A thing that you can get from this station is this. 
that when it comes to acts of kindness, it's not a bad thing to be a bit imprudent. If we stop to think always before we do people kindnesses, maybe we never do them. When I die, I've got a lot to answer for, I'm sure. But all the times I've been imprudent in helping people, that's not a thing we'll, have, we'll, we'll be judged for, I don't think. Well, I suppose there's a supernatural prudence and a natural prudence. And when it comes to doing people a kindness, we shouldn't be too naturally prudent. But we should just trust our Christian heart. Another lesson that we can get from this is how we may win victories over human respect. We can imagine that Veronica was standing among other people who knew Jesus. And so when she went forward to do our Lord this kindness, she didn't need just courage to break through the ranks of his enemies. She needed an even greater courage. She had to break through the ranks of his friends. She wasn't held back by human respect. For my part, I find that when I'm overcome by human respect, it's not because of the thought of, of what unbelievers will think. It's the thought of what believers will think. And I think Veronica shows us what we should do. She looked at Jesus. She saw what would please him. And she went straight ahead and did it without thinking of what, what other people were doing or not doing or what they might or might not say. And so when we find ourselves being crippled, perhaps, by feelings of human respect, we should turn our eyes away from the company in which we find ourselves and turn our eyes on Jesus and look at him and think, what would give him consolation? And then just go ahead and do it. And there's another point too here. While Veronica corresponded with the grace that God was offering her by going ahead and doing our Lord this kindness, we can't say that other people failed to correspond with any grace. We never can say what graces God is offering other people. We only know ourselves that we have rejected his grace. We can't say that other people have ever rejected his grace. And so we can imagine that Veronica was the only person in Jerusalem to be offered the grace of thinking of doing what she did do. And so when she got back home and showed this veil to her mother, she didn't start rash judging all the people she was with and saying they were just standing around there like a lot of dummies, as though they didn't know him. No, she didn't judge them at all. It was to her that God gave the grace of thinking of doing our Lord this kindness, and she did it. And so something that we could pray for at this station is that in our Lord's service we may be single-hearted, thinking of him, what will please him, but not thinking of what other people are doing or what we think they ought to be doing or are not doing, but just think of our Lord and try to please him and leave other people to do what seems best to them.
Now the seventh station of the cross, Jesus falls the second time. He could have been tempted here to discouragement. And anyone who's trying to do things for God can be tempted to discouragement. People were just leaving our Lord to carry his cross. They weren't bothering much about him. They should have been lining the streets, really, saying thank you. But they were just going around. It was like Christmas Eve shopping, I suppose. Everyone bustling around, doing their last-minute buying before the great feast. And here he was, going through the crowds to die for them all. And he could have been tempted to discouragement. And when he fell for the second time, maybe he was tempted to think that, you know, why can't I just get out of this? Go back to his throne in heaven with all the angels adoring him. Leave us unredeemed. But he got up and he picked up his cross and he went on. What helped him at that moment? Well, I suppose two things. First, knowing that this was the divine will, that he should carry his cross to Calvary. And then, secondly, realizing that our salvation depended on it. But what helped our Lord get up and go on? Well, realizing that this was the divine will. And when we are carrying our cross, and really it seems too much, then, too, it's a great help to realize that this is what God's will is. There's a story of St. John Bosco in his early days, not long after his ordination, when he'd opened his home for boys and his mother was looking after them all. And these boys were really, they were the last word. And one day his mother decided she'd had enough. She couldn't stand any more and she was going home. And she told her son this. And St. John Bosco didn't answer her. He just pointed to the crucifix on the wall. And his mother looked at it and realized that this was God's will, that they should go on carrying this cross. And she stayed. So it's a great help to realize that the cross is necessary if souls are going to be saved. And... All of us, we've got people for whose salvation we're responsible. I'm thinking, for instance, of mothers and fathers who get very weary with their day's work, with their week's work. And Sunday comes and they're tempted just not to go to Mass. And perhaps they've got good reason and good excuses for not going to Mass. But then they think of our Lord's carrying his cross and they realize that their children's salvation is going to depend on the courage with which they carry their cross and that will help them in spite of their weariness to get up and do their duty. Our Lord must have looked very an object of scorn almost, lying there in the dust. And to be a Christian, often the world smiles. Well, the disciple isn't above his master. The eighth station, 
the holy women compassionate with Jesus' suffering. And he said to them, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves and fear. He's thinking of the siege of Jerusalem, which took place in the year 70. It was a ghastly time. It was the most appalling siege. And after, after the surrender, Jerusalem was just destroyed. There were, I think there were 90,000 Jews crucified and a million sold into slavery. It was a frightful time. And that's what he's thinking of. And these words of his, they open a window into his heart, if you like. At such a moment, he could well have been excused for thinking of himself and thinking of the terrible suffering that was just awaiting him. But these words show that he's not thinking of himself at all. In the heart of the saints, there's no self-pity. And when we find ourselves being eaten up with self-pity, self-pity is an awful thing. And it's, as I say, it's, it's an infallible cure for self-pity to make the stations of the cross. Nevertheless, he had a human heart. And it must have been a consolation to him to have had these good women compassionating him like this. And we should stop and see our Lord going past, a real pitiable sight. And we should compassionate. Because after all, we're the cause of it. And so we should picture in our mind's eye him going along so weak, hardly able to walk, face dusty, sweaty, blood coming down. He must have looked a dreadful and pathetic sight. And we should try to think of this and realize that the infinite God, so holy, so majestic, has reduced himself to this for love of us. The ninth station, Jesus falls for the third time. And this is a very helpful station. Because you could say that Jesus feel is completely finished now, he can't move a step. And yet his great work is still in front of him. He's still got to redeem us. He's still got to reconcile the human race with God. And this is something which he achieves, not in those 30 years of hidden life at Nazareth, not in the three years of the public ministry, but in three hours of suffering. And this ninth station tells us that the life of a Christian should get more and more useful the older they get. And if God should give a person the vocation of total helplessness, let's say by old age or by sickness, that so far from such a Christian thinking, ah, I'm useless, I can no longer work for people, they should remember that they've now reached what should be the climax of their whole life. They can be more useful in a way than ever they were able to be when they were active. The closer a person is to Christ crucified, the more effective they are in this great work of saving souls. During the war, I was a prisoner on, on the Burma Railway, prisoner of war, and 
many people were dying. And a priest came round, a good Maori's father came round the camps saying mass for us all. And this was a camp out of, out of 250. In a month, nearly 150 died. We had people got cholera. Anyhow, he said mass for us one night when we got back from the railway. And after mass, he was unvesting and he gave us a few words. And he said, if you fellows could, could realize it, you're living through the most precious time of your lives. It seemed an extraordinary thing to say. And I just thought about it. But what he meant, I suppose, was that now we really were suffering. And therefore, if only we knew how to profit from it in a Christian way, this was the most valuable time of our lives. At this ninth station, it's really worth remembering that if God should give me the cross of great suffering and complete helplessness, this now is the time when I can do a great deal for God, a great deal for souls. And so it's good to try to prepare ourselves for any future cross God may give us. It's very sad to meet with good Christians who, just because they get blind or deaf or something, start repining. No, we shouldn't. These are things that God allows for our benefit. Our Lord was useful to us all, all his life long, but he was most useful to us when he could move neither hand nor foot on the cross. And so this ninth station should remind us of all this and give us a right appreciation of, of, of the value of suffering. The tenth station, he stripped of his garments. And this must have been a dreadful sight. If ever you've seen pictures of the Holy Shroud, and if you haven't, I can tell you they're well worth seeing. The Holy Shroud, it's a relic, it's the most precious relic we've got. The bit of cloth that our Lord's body was wrapped in when he was taken down from the cross, and it's been preserved over the centuries, and although it's very, very faded, it's still clear enough for us to pick out what his what he did suffer in his passion. And looking at the photograph of that part of the shroud that covered his back, we can see how his back was covered with wounds, open wounds, caused by the scourges. And it's very profitable for us just to think of our blessed Lord's body and of how much he suffered for us. A gasp of horror must have gone up from his friends when they saw what the scourges had done to him. And we ourselves too should try to feel dismay at the terrible suffering we have caused our blessed Lord. The eleventh station, he's nailed to the cross. When they stretch him out on the cross, before they actually drive the nails in. It's quite helpful to imagine that it's, it was at this moment that he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Teaching us, for last time, the absolute necessity of forgiving everybody. And it's not a bad thing when you make the Stations of the Cross, at this moment, just to look into your heart and to make sure 
that there's no one single person against whom you bear any malice to make quite sure that you've forgiven everybody. It's a dreadful thing that we can refuse to forgive people. We can't forget things, I suppose. We can't control our memory. But this is not a matter of the memory, it's a matter of the will. And even though people are wounded so deeply that it's, it's a wound that will never heal in this life, nevertheless, we can forgive them. That's to say, with our wills, we can, we, can, we can pray for them. If you can make yourself pray for somebody, then you can be quite sure that you've forgiven them. Because what counts in this matter is the way our will is set. And so it's a good thing at this point just to check up that you do forgive people and that you have forgiven everybody. And I think all our life long, it's a good habit to keep up because as people get older, somehow our hearts can get harder. And I suppose the devil would always try to sow seeds of resentment in our hearts. So I think whenever you make the Stations of the Cross at this 11th station, it's a good thing just to think of our Lord's words and then to make sure that you too, in your turn, have forgiven every single person. And then they drove the nails in. And that must have just driven everything out of his mind. The agony of that. Apparently there's quite a big nerve goes right down through the wrist. And you know how when you're at the dentist, if the drill gets a bit close to one of the nerves, you really jump. And that's a little nerve, and this is a big nerve. It must have been terrible pain. And our Lord received those sacred wounds, which we hope to adore for all eternity. This was when he received them. And so now we can adore them and thank our Lord for having received these wounds for love of us. It's a very good thing to kneel down at this station just to see how much our Lord's suffering and to thank him. And then the twelfth station. He dies on the cross. And here we must kneel down to thank him. It could be that when he hung on the cross, the ingratitude of people added to his sufferings. But our attitude to him now could have been a consolation to him then. So it's a good thing to thank him with all our hearts for having suffered all this for love of us. And to ask him that he may not have suffered for us in vain, but that we ourselves may profit from that death. Pray that we may die on our cross. To be faithful to our Lord's teaching. And just as they said to him, come down from your cross, the world says to the Christian, come down from your cross. So we can ask our Lord that we may stay on our cross till we die. That's what God asks of us. At this station, I always ask for some sort of personal things, personal graces. And I think maybe it's not very fair to ask our Lord at this stage for things I especially want, but I just do. 
It's a good thing anyhow to ask our Lord that you may love him in heaven with that love which he wants you to have. And to tell him that you don't mind about the suffering. But all you want to do is to please him, to do his holy will in this life and in eternity, to love him for all eternity with that love for which he created you. The thirteenth station, he is taken down from the cross and laid in the arms of his blessed mother. Here it's a good thing to ask pardon of our blessed lady. I sometimes think to myself, supposing I were driving along and suddenly a child runs out from behind a car and I just can't stop and I go right into the child. I jump out and the child's lying in the road, dead. And there's a little child and I pick it up and there's a house there with a the door and I carry the child in and there's the child's mother sitting down and I put it in her lap. And what can I say? It's a terrible thing. I can just beg her pardon. And with our blessed Lord, we know that it was our sins that led to his suffering and dying. And what can we do when we're in front of our blessed lady except to ask her pardon for this? It's a fact that our Lord loves his mother. It's a fact that she did suffer during the Passion. And we were the cause of his suffering and of her suffering. And it's not right that we should just sort of brush it aside as though we hadn't made her suffer. So at this thirteenth station, it's a good thing to ask Our Lady's forgiveness just like you would ask the forgiveness of the mother of a child of whose death you were in some way the cause. Our Blessed Lady never sinned, but when she saw what sin had done to the body of her son, how she hated sin. A grace to ask for from God at this station could be a greater supernatural hatred of sin. And then the fourteenth station, our blessed Lord is laid in the tomb. The faith of the apostles, it all went. Faber says that the faith of the entire church at that moment resided in the heart of Mary. A grace to pray for at this station could be that of a stronger faith. We can see the church wounded and bleeding. The body of our Lord must have been a, a wretched sight, a pathetic sight. And yet Our Lady's faith didn't waver. Our Lord's cause seemed completely finished he was dead. He was put in the tomb. And yet our faith didn't waver. 
The Church, we call it the body of Christ, and the Church today is being wounded and derided, and in some parts it seems dead. A grace to pray for here could be that however much we may see the Church suffer, or see her humiliated and wounded and bleeding and apparently dead and buried, nevertheless, our faith may not waver. By now, we've come back near the tabernacle again. In most churches, the stations of the cross go round in a sort of circle. And when we get to the 14th station, we're back near the altar again. And so it's a good thing to kneel down and have a bit of a talk with our Lord about all this and ask him how he could have loved us so much as to have come down from heaven and gone this bitter, painful, humiliating way to Calvary and suffered so much for us. And then we have to look into our own hearts and ask ourselves, and what have I done for him? What am I doing for him now? What would he like me to do for him in the future? And now I'll give you a blessing. May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, come down on you and remain with you always.